got your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 is where we're going to hang out this morning as we continue our series, all right, the Church of Summer, right? We've been adopting baseball um, ideas, terminologies um, to talk about the realities or the headlines, all right, that are in our midst, all right? What do I mean by that? There's a journalist that follows the royals around. That journalist writes a headline based upon the reality of the royals' condition. All right, if a journalist followed us around as a church, what would the headline read, all right, from week to week about our condition? What realities do we need to be aware of, all right? What realities do we need to address, all right? And so each week we've had different headlines. The headline this week is walkout song, all right? Walkout song. You go to a Royals game, right? You know that each hitter has a walkout song. You know, before the pitcher takes the mound, he has a walkout song, okay? Well, I think about the purpose of the intent of a walkout song. You know, I thought this week, well, you know, I think uh, your, your walkout song is, you know, something that uh, sets the tone for, you know, what you're about to do. It's an aid in some sort which sets a tone for right, what you're about to try and accomplish, right? It sets a tone. It stirs your emotions in some ways. Maybe it gets your adrenaline, you know, going, right? But it's helping set the tone for the assignment that you're walking into, right? And that's how I thought about, you know, the walkout song this week. Um, In college, my walkout song was by Wild Cherry, Play That Funky Music. It was a tribute, right, to my dad. And, you know, all the older folks in the stands would always, you know, you know they'd be singing along. And, um, but that was my walkout song in college. And, you know, it set the tone for me. Like, anytime I hear that song, like, I just immediately start getting loose, all right? I just start getting loose, you know. And so I take the mound that song's on. I'm like, all right, you know, just... I just felt loose. It's, you know, uh, it, it also stirred some emotions. Like, it got me ready all right, for my assignment. Um, I was asking Steve Spall this morning, um, hey, what's a, what do you think the intent or the purpose of a walkout song is? Um, and he said, well, I think it's an association with an identity. You know, I'm like, Steve, it's 7.30. That's really good, really deep, but it's 7.30. <laughs> You know, but that is so true too. That is so true because you go to a Royals game, you hear the walkout song, their walkout song will tell you something about them. You'll know some things about the player just by the song that you hear them walk out to. You'll know some of their interests, you know, some of their background, some of their culture, some of their hobbies. You'll know some things by their walkout song. It's an association to their identity or who they are. Okay? And so this morning, we're going to hang out in Psalm 19. I'm going to pick that apart in the hopes that, in the prayer that Psalm 19 would be an association for our identity. It would be an association for your identity personally, but also our identity collectively as a church. Meaning, what do I mean by association? When people encounter you, when people encounter us, they would associate you, us, with Psalm 19. 
And we're going to learn what that means this morning. Okay? So, Psalm 19, let's read it, and then we'll pick it apart. Okay? Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising as from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, I'm going to, um, let me back up a second. King David writes this. Okay, David is king of Israel. All right, and David is penning this psalm, this poetry that is sung just like, all right, when the Jewish people, when Israel gathered together in the temple like this right here, Right, Psalm 19 would be something that was sung in the congregation. Okay, King David has wrote this psalm. All right, so I want you to understand that this is something that they would sing all right, together. I also think it's fascinating to think about this is also something that Jesus probably would have sang. As Jesus grew up in the temple... As Jesus grew up in the congregation of God's people, and as they sang, he would have been singing with them. As the congregation listened uh, to the readings of the prophets, like Jesus would have been here. Like, I just think that's so fascinating that the Son of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, our deliverer, Jesus Christ saying Psalm 19. You know, I just I share that with you because I think it brings a severity, it brings a weight, it brings a reverence to what we're reading here. But Jesus Christ affirms it. Jesus Christ sings it. I just want to bask in that for a second. You know, I'm just, I just read something that the Son of God sang with his own mouth.
Let's pick it apart. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. That's the first section here, 1 through 6. And what David writes in 1 through 6 is he's saying, hey, all right, take notice, the work or the handiwork of God, the creation is proclaiming something about the glory, proclaiming something about the nature of God. It's, it's revealing things to you. When you look up and you see the daytime sky, it's revealing something about the nature of God. When you look up at the nighttime sky, you see the moon and the stars, it's revealing something about the nature of God. Right, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that every man is without excuse for the invisible attributes. The nature of God has been made plain to all, for creation is a testimony to the Creator God. So every man is without excuse, right? David is sitting there, he's penning this psalm, and he's probably, right, I don't know if he's, you know, sitting on his balcony, he's sitting in the pasture, and he sees the daytime sky, and he starts writing. You know, but what he's saying is here is, hey, creation is revealing something about the nature of God, and we ought to pay attention to what creation is revealing, okay? That's what he says, verse 1, look at the expanse, look at the sky. It's declaring the handiwork of God. It's proclaiming his glory. Verse 2, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Throughout the day, his creation is pouring out something. Every night in the stillness, right, it's revealing knowledge about the nature of God. Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through the earth and their words to the end of the world. Seems like David's saying something contradictory here, right? He says in verse 3, there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice, right, is not heard. What he's saying is that, hey, the, the sun is not talking to you. The moon is not talking to you. There are no audible words being spoken to you by God's creation. It's not speaking to you as you hear me speak. But yet, verse 4, he says, but its voice, their voice, their sound, their line goes through all the earth and their, ends, and their words to the end of the world. It's not audibly speaking, but it's saying something to you. All right, this is poetry here. audibly speaking, but it's telling us something. It's sound, right, can be interpreted. It's message can be interpreted. What is the message that David wants us to see here? What is it about the nature of God does he want us to see in verse 1 through 6? Verse 5, the last part of verse 4, in them he has set a tent for the sun, meaning in the expanse of the heavens. God has set the sun, all right, the, 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 the expanse of the heavens, the sky is like the tent for the sun, the tabernacle for the sun. It's the place where the sun lives, resides. 
dwells. Okay, so David is moving particularly into uh, the sun right now. Okay, and he, and he wants us to understand some things about the sun. Verse 5, it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. All right? It comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber. All right, I remember on my wedding day, I'm at my brother's house. Um, this is the third week in a row now I've used my brother as an example. He's going to be mad. He told me last week, stop, dude, stop. Anyway, um, so I... Me and my friends, we got ready at my brother's house, and I remember, like, we get all dressed up most of the day, you're just kind of like, whatever. And then, like, when it's go time, it's like, okay, I actually got to clean up now, you know? I got to do something about this mess, all right? And so we get our suit on, we get the tie done, you get your shoes laced up, you got the suspenders on, you know, all my friends are doing the same thing, like, then somebody comes over and pokes us while they put the flower in, you know? And, and so, but you get to this point where, right, you're, you're, you're ready, you're dressed, and it's, and it's time to go. And so, like, we leave the house, we exit the chamber, we leave the house, and when we come walking out of the house, like me and my friends, we're all dressed up, we look good, we're ready to go, like I'm about to, I'm about to marry my wife, right? I'm not coming out of the house like Eeyore, like, oh, here we go, just another day. No, we come out of that house, and it's like, I'm ready for my assignment, <laughs> I feel good, I look good, it's time to play good, like, let's go, Right? Nobody comes out of the chamber on the wedding day like, oh, I guess this will be all right. No, and the son, David says the son comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, meaning the son's like, hey, it's time, let's go. It's time to warm this place up. It's time to shed some light on the situation. I'm ready. All right? David goes on, he says, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. The sun, right, is like in the starting blocks, waiting for the gun to go off, and he's ready just to burst, right? Full throttle, it's time to go. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. There's no drudgery in the sun coming up. I'm ready to run the course. It's rising from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David said the sun has got this track, this circuit that it just goes on. You know, the sky is its home, and it just is going on this track, its circuit, and there's nothing hidden from its light. There's nothing hidden from its heat. And it's running this track, it's running this course with joy and strength like a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. You get this imagery? And what David is saying, this creation, the sun and the expanse and it's on its track, nothing's hidden from it. It's revealing to us something about the nature of God. What is it revealing to us about the nature of God? What is it saying? Well, when you take the sun out of the equation, if the sun never comes out of the chamber, it never shoots off the blocks, 
the sun doesn't exist, there's no life. You take the sun away, you take photosynthesis away. You take that away, you take the plants away. You take the plants away, you take the animals away that eat the plants. You take those animals away, you take the animals that eat those animals away. You take those away, you take you and I away who eat the plants and the animals. Without the sun, there is no life. There is no sustainability without the sun. And what David is saying is he's looking at the daytime sky and he sees the sun. There is no life without God. Creation is a testimony to the nature of God and every man is without excuse. I would not be here physically without the sun and I would have no life without the creator God. He is like the sun, the author of all this and the sustainer of all of this. His creation reveals his glory. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. That's the first section. And what I want you to understand about that section is that God is the author of life and the sustainer of life just like the sun. He's the author and sustainer of life just like the sun that David sees up in the sky. Verse 7 through 11 is the next section. David moves from God's glory is revealed in his creation now to God's glory is revealed in his word. In his word. He moves from the works of God to the word of God. All right? And this is, there's a structure, uh, you know, to 7 through 11. You'll find, right, in poetry there are rules, there's structures to writing, Okay, which is why I don't write poetry. I don't like rules. But when you see this, you read this, you're going to see like there's a bunch of adjectives describing, right, a noun or a bunch of nouns that, you know, are, are, are synonymous with each other. Okay, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The adjective is perfect. The noun that perfect is describing law, the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Sure is the adjective of the noun testimony. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. Okay, you see a bunch of adjectives describing right, the law of God, the testimony of God, the precepts, the commandments, the instruction of God. Okay, look at verse 7. The law, okay? I think the law summarizes the rest of testimony, precepts, commandments, rules. Because here the word law is kind of an overarching word, meaning, hey, the will of God, the way of God is perfect. It is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. precepts of the Lord are right. All these adjectives I think you can sum up with perfect. 
The will of God is perfect. His instructions are perfect. And David knows this to be true. David can walk into the courtroom and testify to the judgments of God, to the testimony of God, to the rules, to the commandments, to the instruction of our Lord. He can walk in and testify it is right, it is good, it is perfect. And so can you and I, those that are in Christ, those that uh, uh, believe in the, uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, you and I can also testify to His way is perfect because it doesn't take long for us to be able to compare and contrast His way and our way and the fruit of those. It doesn't take long to compare and contrast forgiveness, which is the way of God, and the blessing that comes with forgiveness than it is to look at resentment and the fruit that comes from our resentfulness. It doesn't take long for us to be able to go, no, 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 no. The way and will of God is perfect. It is good. There is blessing. And it is revealing the nature of God to us. That's what his word is doing. It's perfect because he's perfect. It's right because he's right. It's sure because he's sure. It's true because he's true. In his word, he's revealing to us his nature and his glory also. And it's perfect. It's not a half-truth. It's not a compromise. It's not a convenience. It's perfect. It doesn't lack. It isn't without. You know, we live in such a time where a lot of what we say and a lot of what we hear and a lot of the instructions that are given to us in the way of living life bunch of half-truths, a bunch of compromises, conveniences that leave us less than at the end of the day without His will for us, His instruction is perfect. It's no half-truth. No compromise. The fullness of our blessing is found in His will. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. David's like, oh, the will of God, His instruction in my life is more precious than gold and it's sweeter than honey I don't have a frame of reference for the drippings of honeycombs okay um, I don't, I'm not sure is that like you know if you had bees and you had a honeycomb you went and stuck your tongue under the honey as it dripped down is that what that is I don't know that's what I think it is but I don't have a frame of reference for that but I do have a frame of reference for I took my girls to the mall one time and you know at the mall they got that candy store 
You know, when I was a kid and I went to that mall, that candy store, like, it was good, you know, but now it's like, holy cow, this thing's on steroids. Um, we go into that candy store and my middle daughter, Harper, her eyes just light up. She's like, oh, this is what heaven's like, you know? She's like, dad, feed me, feed me, you know? And so she grabs her bag, you know, and she's like, you know, put one of everything in there, you know? And she's just, you know, carrying out like Santa Claus, you know? she got this big bag draped over her and, you know, she loves the sweets, loves them, you know? It'd be like, you know, David's walking into the candy store and he's like, hmm, let me get some of that. Let me get some of that. Let me get some of that. He puts it in the bag. He goes home. He pops on a movie, eats his bag of candy. Movie's done. Bag's out of candy. He lays down in bed and he goes, ah, Lord God, your word is still better. Your word is still better. But C.S. Lewis puts it like this. C.S. Lewis says, it's like a homeless man on a cold winter night walks into a homeless shelter. He's standing before a hot meal and a hot shower. And so he starts with the hot shower and he gets cleaned up and then he comes through the line and he grabs his hot meal and he sits down and he eats his meal and he goes and lays in this twin bunk and he's laying there and he goes, oh, Lord God, Your word is still better. I could go without the candy. I could go without the sweetness. I could go without the warm meal and the warm shower. Your word is better than life. It's more to be desired. My soul would rather have your word than the hot meal. If only I can cling to your word. What if that was the association of your life? The association of my life and the life of this church. Our walk-up song as we walked into life, people go, they desire the word of God above all else. They desire the Word of God above all else. That was our walk-up song. If it was our walk-up song, what would that mean? Practically, what would it mean? If His instruction and His will was the desire of our soul above all things, what would that mean? I'm going to let you uh, do the work of that. I trust that the Spirit of God will reveal to you what that means, but it may mean this. It may mean if the Word of God is going to be the delight and the desire of your soul, it may mean you may have to start with opening it on a consistent basis. That may be what the Spirit of God reveals to you. For when the candy store is the desire of your heart, well, by golly, you will go to the candy store. 
If the word of God is the desire of your heart, then the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, if this is ever going to be an association of your identity, you need to open the word of God and get to know who I am. It may mean for you, God may say to you, I, I know that you know and you understand what is plain in Scripture for you to understand. You have a grasp on my instruction and my will. But what I'm saying to you, if you were ever going to, uh, this is ever going to be your walk-up song, it's time for you now to adhere to what you know. It's time for you to walk out what is plain to you. Because it would be silly. You know, if I walked out to Salvador Perez's walkout song and pretended like that's an association to who I am. So the Spirit may say, it's time for you to walk in obedience to what you know my will says. For some of you, it may be, hey, if this is going to be an association for your life, if this is going to be your walkout song, I need you, I need you to teach it now to somebody else. The Spirit may reveal to you, I, I said at the beginning of the service, Chase and Kelsey just got engaged. The Spirit may say to you, you know what? You need to go teach a young couple who just got engaged what it is to be married. How to walk out a God-ordained thing. How to love one another well. Hey, here's some wisdom I've collected along the way. If this is going to be an association for your life, God may say, hey, it's time for you to pass on what I've taught you. Why, why are we sitting on our hands? Did you glean from what I showed you? Well, come on. Share my glory with somebody else. I trust that the Spirit of God will reveal to you what He wants you to know if this is our walkout song. Verses 12 through 14 to me, and I think for us as a church, may be uh, the most important piece in this. Okay? Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. If the glory of God If his instruction is not a means of something, then there's much danger 
All right, and the danger is, like we see in the New Testament, the danger is like the Pharisees who take the law of God, who take the instruction of God, and it's not a means, right, to something. It, it, it is just like, I want to, uh, I just want to study this. I just, uh, I want to know this. I, w- I just want to become this fathead of what the prophets are saying, and, and you know, what the Psalms are revealing, what the, what, what, what the Torah, right, is saying. I just, I, I want to acquire. I want to study. I want to learn, but it's a means, you know, it's not a means to anything. It, it's a means of what can I consume? What do I know? What do I have? And this is one of Jesus's, you know, greatest frustrations with the Pharisees. The outside of your cup is clean. The inside's dirty. You add all these laws to the Sabbath and yet you don't keep them. What happens is that when we take the will of God, the commandments of God, his, his word to us, right, and, and it's not a means for something to us, we create a legalism out of it. We create a self-righteousness out of it. We become biblical fatheads. And there comes this hierarchy, this hierarchy, The glory of God and the will of God, his instruction that he reveals to us in creation and in his word is a means to lead us into 12 and 14. Oh, that the commandments of God would discern me. Oh, that the nature of God would reveal my nature against the backdrop of his. Oh, would these things reveal to me who he is and who I am and who I'm not? Would his word reveal to me my sins and my transgressions and my impurities and my disobedience so that I could repent and be innocent of these? His nature And his way is a means of leading us into his nature to become like him, to reveal him more and more. When we, you know, Alistair Begg says, when you're looking, you know, at Psalm 19, you can look at it like this. Look at it like this in summary. Verses 1 through 6, David says, look up. When you see the expanse and you see the sun, it it will reveal the nature of God to you. Look up. Verses 7 through 11, then David, you know, writes, you know, and Alistair Begg says, now look down. Look down at his word. For it will reveal his nature and what he's like. And then after you look up and after you look down, then look within. Let what he showed you in his works, let what he showed you in his word now discern your inward parts and let it change you. Let it move you. Let it cause you to not be the same. Let it produce in you what 7 through 11 says it'll produce in you. 
it will revive or convert. It will enlighten. It will make you wise. Let what he reveals then discern you. Let it change you. What if this was the association of our life and the life of our church? Can we let this be our walkout song? Stirring our emotions. Getting us ready. Setting the tone for what we do and how we make decisions. Okay? I'm going to end like this. Your students that are going to camp, I'm going to ask you to come on up front. All right? Come on up front and join me. It's lonely up here, all right? It's lonely, so company's always good. Come on up. Okay. Um, Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Okay. We're going to be spending this week um, in Psalm 23. And so I'm going to read that, okay? And I'm going to ask you to, to lift your hands with me as we pray, all right, um, over these students at camp, all right? Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lift your hands with me as we pray. God, I pray that your word... And what you revealed to us this morning would discern us, bring to the surface our transgressions, our shortcomings, our flesh. I pray that we would repent of those things, God, before you, and that we would be changed by your word, changed by your nature, by your glory. God, I pray that we would experience the blessing of those things. We will be enlightened and revived and restored in our repentance. Yet we pray uh, unified over our students headed to camp this week that they would uh, experience the promises and know the promises of Psalm 23, that those who are restless would find rest in the good shepherd, who those are being choked out by the enemies, that they would sit down at the table and their cup would overflow with mercy, that they would know the promises that you have to offer them that they would know the benefits of being underneath your care, purchased by you in your blood. They would know what it's like to be able to walk in confidence, to walk in victory, because you tell them, hey, 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 we're going to get to the top of this mountain, and you're going to dwell here forever and ever with me. And we pray that you would revive souls, just as your word says, when your word is sent out. Revive our students' souls. Speak to them this week. Amen. All right.